Well, excited to be with y'all. Would you grab a Bible and make your way to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10? Hope you brought one and you're heading there. If you didn't bring one in chairs in front of you, uh, you have a, a Bible there. You can grab one of those, page number on the screen. You're welcome to use an electronic device. Following along in that, just a Bible app, one way or another, our invitation to you is to be in the Word of God, that you would hear and see and be able to follow along and that God would speak to you through His Word. If you're in the overflow, if you're joining us online, just please hear that we're speaking to you as well, inviting you to have a Bible, that you would be able just to hear what God has to say as we are in a space continuing verse by verse in the book of 2 Corinthians, wanting to hear what God has for us, but even in this just little section specifically. Uh, If you were here last week, we talked about that we entered into a section in 2 Corinthians 10 that talks about spiritual warfare, and we're slowing down to a crawl. We're slowing down to a space that we're just going to little by little look at what's uh, here. And so in this just kind of very focus in it, we're longing that you would be able to hear and see the things that are there. So I thought I would read that whole section with you. Last week I had you guys stand. I'm not going to do that this week just because, you know, there's fun about being different. But I do want to read all of it, and I want you to read it with me. So I would even ask this. Would you take your finger? And put it in the page with me there and follow along word by word. Even if your translation is different, I think it'll be helpful. Join me there in verse 3. Let's read it and then we'll take a moment to pray for it. So beginning there in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Let's pray for that and ask that God would open up his word to us. Father, we think about this right now, and as we're in this section, I just would ask favor. Would you open up your truth to us? Would you help us to understand what it is that you're saying to us? Open up our minds, our understanding, and even just our lives to it. And God, I love that as we're here together, you still know us individually. You know right where we are. In fact, you're doing something this moment in our lives. And it's right that in this space, I would ask and just even look to you as a God who could Just open up to us individually that which we need to hear. Oh God, give us ears to hear that. Ability to hear you speak to us through your word in a loving and a real and connecting way that would draw us to what you have for us this morning. Oh God, make it known. Give us help. Right now we ask for it as we seek your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Imagine picking up some package and finding the label saying, some demolition required. Hey, that's kind of a funny reality. I mean, one says, think of some demolition required. That sounds ominous in so many ways, but it's true. This morning, we want to talk about a demolition that is a spiritual demolition. In fact, I want to tell you as clear as I can make it known that it's needed. There is never, ever progress that's made spiritually growth that takes place in any life or space that doesn't begin with having to tear something down. That there's something that's occupying every space that's there. 
something that needs to be dismoved, just removed from that in a way that demolition is absolutely required. In fact, we're using it this morning and we're looking at this section that is specifically speaking about it as a war, a spiritual war that you and I are involved in. And so let's think about it that way. There is never an advance. There is never progress made spiritually unless the enemy is uprooted. From some space that we're seeking to take and and see movement, that space is always occupied by something that is seeking to do that. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He says, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. There's a war. There's a war for every square inch. There's a war for every second. And where Satan is holding that, he, that the lies and things that are there must be removed. Demolition is required. Space is where that would take place in our lives. And we want to talk about that this morning in our lives and what it looks like. Now, with that, I want to be tender, if I can say it that way, loving in the way that would understand it, because demolition. You know, it might sound fun in construction, you know, for, for Chip Gaines, demolition day is his favorite day kind of deal. Um, but when the demolition isn't a building, but it's your soul, it's not so much fun. Uh, where, where, where what needs to be torn down are pieces of you, things that you're holding to, that uncomfortable space becomes that space that becomes so incredibly difficult that we would look upon this and say, you know, we just want to understand what we're talking about this morning. It's not one of those delightful, like, oh, that's fun. I love it when that happens. No, if we could get it, it's like, oh, that's, that's hard. This is a little bit difficult when it happens, but it's an absolutely needed part of the growth that God wants in our lives. So we want to try to understand that this morning. We want to understand a little bit of what that looks like and how we participate in that and and even where that's going. Before we dive into it, I want to say something very clearly and I hope helpfully and not confusing. I want to just speak about it here, though I'm not going to talk about the rest of the message or anything because it's not really about it. When we talk about demolition, it has nothing to do with something in our day that is called just kind of Christian deconstruction. Now, you may know nothing about that, and if you don't, good, don't. I mean, I'm always aware of just the danger of almost advertising for Satan. You know, it's like, I don't want to do that. I want to point out, but there's a big lie that has been rolling in our culture for like the last five years, uh, for certain, where there have been a number of very prominent personalities uh, within the Christian world, authors and uh, writers and pastors and musicians who have entered in something that they call Christian deconstruction. What is that? That means they're dismembering their Christian faith, that they're turning away from absolute truth, they're turning away uh, from the Bible, they're beginning to embrace lots of other things. And if I can say it in the most simple way, what that is is the opposite of what we're talking about. I just want to make sure you hear it and understand it. You don't hear anything I'm saying is like, oh, that's what we're wanting. No, that's the opposite of this. We're not trying to tear down what God is building. We're building God's work and tearing down the lies that are around it. So don't hear anything I'm saying as an endorsement of that. And certainly in one sense, if we can focus on this, we'll focus on the right way that'll keep us from the lies that are growing prevalent in our day and age. Well, leaving that, coming back to it, there's a pulling down. There's a casting down that's needed. You probably saw it, right? Go back and look at it there in our text this morning where he gives it to us this way. He says in verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty in God. Notice, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There's a pulling down. There's a casting down that's needed. Now, those two phrases are a little bit different in the English language. They're really much more close in the Greek, and so just understand it's the same thing. These are things that have to come down. They have to be cast down. They have to be pulled down. The idea is that these things must go. These things have to go out of the way. And if we're going to see progress in our lives, if we're going to see see progress in, in what God has for us, it must be this, that what we're seeking to grow and see advance has to have this spiritual demolition that becomes a part of our lives. So we want to look at what that is, and we want to look at the kind of things that get taken down, but let's chase to the end for a moment. Why are we doing it? What's the point? Uh, Where is this going? Well, he actually told us. So go back and read it one more time. It says it there in verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. For the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against, here's where I pay attention, against the knowledge of God. The aim that we're pursuing, the aim of this war that is before us, it is an aim for us to, to know God, to, to, to walk in this incredible relationship with Him. What we're pursuing is knowing Him. The knowledge of God, not facts, not just facts about him, but knowing him. Now, I say that in one sense. There, I find myself at the edge of a precipice looking over a grand canyon of truth and just telling you, this is everything. This is literally everything. God has made you for him. And nothing else will ever satisfy you. The whole Bible points to reality that your very reason for being is to know him. The greatest commandment is that you would love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's the most important thing in your life. That what we desperately need is Him. That, that what, we, what, what we need in our lives is to have that, to have that relationship with Him. Jesus said it this way. There in praying in John 17, that night before He goes to the cross, He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He gives it to us in a definition. He gives it to us in a reality. He says, this is it. This is eternal life. This is what life is. This is what life is meant to be. This is what I've come to do, right? John 3, 16, you guys know it. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him has what? Has eternal life, has everlasting life. Understand this, that everlasting life is much more than duration. It's much more than just living forever. It's relationship. It is an everlasting, eternal, rich, life-giving relationship with God in Christ. And that's what Jesus has for us. And this is what I know that you need. You hear this morning, you don't know Jesus. You're gathered here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Can I say it to you as clear as I can? You need Jesus. Life is found in Jesus. It's found nowhere else. Are you a follower of Jesus and you've been a follower of Jesus for decades? You know what you need this morning? You need him. You need to know him and need to know him better. Are you having a really hard time 
Is today met you in some difficult space of life? Can I tell you, your greatest need right now is knowing him. Are you doing really well? Like it's a really good day and you have a lot of fun in this space of life? Great. You know what you need today? You really need him. I don't have to know. I don't have to know what your life looks like right now. I don't have to know the situation that you're going in, but I can tell you with absolute biblical clarity, your greatest need, your greatest need today is to know him, to to find your life in him, to, to know Jesus. It is what you desperately need. I think about it in that familiar quote that some of you may know from Augustine, who simply said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Have you discovered it? Have you discovered that nothing else satisfies? Have you looked for hope and life in something else? You sought to find it in money or pleasure or success, only to find that you've chased the rainbow, to find there's no pot of gold at the end of it, as Solomon would talk about, that it's empty and meaningless. Have you looked for life in other places only to discover it's not there? Why? because it'll never be there. What you were made for, an emptiness in your soul, is to know God, and nothing else will ever satisfy it. Nothing. Nothing you do, nothing you gain, nothing you have will ever reach what you get to have in Jesus. Think about it this way. J.R. Packer, in his book called Knowing God, said it this way. He says, what were you made for? To know God. What should we aim, for, aim to have in life? To know God. What is eternal life that Jesus gives? To know God. What is the best thing in life? It's to know God. To know God is the best thing. It's everything that we've been made for. It's everything that we're seeking to have. It's that which we're seeking to pursue. Not just to know about him, but to know him. One of my favorite preachers from the previous generation said it this way, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, I'm not asking whether you know things about him, but do you know God? Are you enjoying God? Is God the center of your life, the soul of your being, the source of your greatest joy? He is meant to be. He is meant to be. He is meant to be your life. He's meant to be your joy. He's meant to be the center of your being. That is what you need. That is what I need. This is what we've been made for. This is what we're pursuing. And when we think about what 2 Corinthians is talking about, when it talks about a spiritual war, that's the war we're fighting. That's the war we're fighting. We're fighting to gain that. We're fighting to, say, to, to know him. This war is inside your soul. This war for you right now is for you to know God to know him well, to know the joy of who he is. There's a war that's raging right now that you are invited to participate in. And the end of it, the aim of it, is if you wage this war, you'll know God better. You'll know him better. You'll know what he is. You'll know him and the life that he gives. But let's not miss it. This war that 2 Corinthians is talking about is not just a war for our own souls. It's actually a war for others. Quick reminder, if you've been with us, in this section of 2 Corinthians, Paul had planted this church in the city of Corinth. He's writing this letter to him because they're beginning to believe lies. Lies that would ultimately pull them away from Jesus. Uh, kind of get in, the, in between their relationship with Jesus. And Paul is deeply concerned about it. And so he's telling them, hey, we need to get this right or 
There's going to be a war. There's going to be a war, me warring for your soul. Hey, go back and see it. Just pick it up there in verse 2. It says, but I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as though we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we're human. (laughs) That's not a war. We do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. For Paul, this was not just his own personal battle. He is warring for others to know God. He's looking upon this and saying, hey, we need to get this right. There's going to be a spiritual war that you and I are going to step into because I want you to know God. I want you to know Him. Now, here's where you get to be invited into it. And I know for some of you, you're there. Some of you, you have someone right now. Like you could think about it right now. There's a loved one, a family member, a friend, and they're far from Jesus right now. And maybe you already see it this way. If not, you're invited to see it this way. There's a war. There's a war for their soul. There's a war for them to know Jesus. And you get to be invited into that. You get to be invited to say, I want to go to war. I want to be a part of this because I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know him. That's what we're fighting for. That's what we're after. That's what we're pursuing. And this morning, that's what we're pursuing in you. This morning that you would find yourself seeing what we're fighting for. And in a very simple way, I'm just calling you to arms. I'm calling you to war. I'm calling you to take up uh, with it as well and say, okay, I see it. I see what's taking place. I want to be involved. Like, that's what I want to do. I want to be involved in what that is. I want to see this war in my life and in the lives of others and be a participant on the good side of this for God's aim and for God's glory. So he breaks it down in several places and helps us understand part of what that war is. We want to cover just this demolition side of it this morning. It's not all of it. We already read that it's going to, you know, kind of begin to build and and, and take us into a beautiful obedience, which we'll talk about in the next week or two. But today we just want to talk about the things that have to come down. Things that have to come down. He gives it to us. In fact, he gives us three of them. Three things that get in the way of us knowing God. Let's notice it in the text, and then we'll begin to unpack them together. I just start again in verse 4 for this context. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For the pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Three things. Three things that he tells us that are in the way. Three things that have to come down. They are strongholds, arguments, and high things. Strongholds, arguments, high things. He says these things have to be pulled down. These things have to be cast down uh, for us to have what God has for us, for us to know God as he wants us to so let's give simple definitions. I mean, there's much that we could say about this, and it's much deeper than we have time to dive into in its entirety. But simple definitions, what are these? So a stronghold is a fortification. Kind of helpful. Here's a little bit of problem. We don't have anything quite the equivalent in our culture of what a stronghold was in those days. So let me try to take you back for a moment. In those days, if you lived in a city, uh, in those days, most cities were walled cities. 
uh, that you had a wall all the way around a perimeter. It protected you from enemies. It protected you from vandals. A walled city was essential for life. That was part of your protection. But in most of those walled cities, they also had a stronghold. They also had a strong tower, which was the safest of safe places. That if the enemy you know, was attacking the walls, and if there began to be a breach in the walls, you would make your beeline you know, to this high tower, to this strong tower, close yourself in there, and there in the safest of safe places, you would barricade yourself against the enemy so that he couldn't come in. It was meant to be this place where you hide out, and and could endure uh, the, the attacks of an enemy. That's a pretty powerful little picture, by the way. Uh, for you kind of Lord of the Rings people, this is kind of, this is Helm's Deep. This is the keep, you know, kind of thing. Like, this is where you run when the enemy's there. The Bible's great in the way it does this. Sometimes it tells us to see God this way. Maybe you'd see this in some of David's Psalms where he says, hey, God is our high tower. God is our, is our fortification. He is our stronghold. So that in our difficult days, we run to him. We run to him and it's as if, okay, everything feels like it's falling. We run to him and he says, you can find safety in him. That's a good picture. But here it's not running to him. I mean, the idea of a fortification here is some place where a soul is barricading itself behind some strong tower to keep God away. Uh, some place where they're moving into this inner space and saying, God, you cannot come in. Like you, you, you cannot have this. What is this? Well, there's really so many ways it could happen. Sometimes it's a sin that just really has a grip on somebody's life that becomes a stronghold. Sometimes it's guilt uh, uh, of just feeling that you can't get over. Sometimes it's just pure stubbornness. The kind of place where it's like, I'm not listening. I don't want to listen. Like, you know, just I'm in my, you, like, this is where I'm going to hunker down and no God can get in here. This is my hideaway. Hey, where that's happening, where that's happening, those walls have to come down. That place that you are hiding away from God has to come down, which is, sounds great. It's just terribly uncomfortable. It's terribly uncomfortable to find something being torn down in your life, a place that you felt safe before. He says, you cannot stay there any longer. You've got to come out. You've got to let God in. There's a strong tower that can hold us back from him. That must come down. Well, that's one of the things that has to come down. The second is that he says it's arguments or reasonings or lies. The idea is here, there are things that are being spoken, things that are said, and they are detrimental to your soul. There are lies that are a part of this, and this is a big part of our world. Uh, the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies, and he has permeated our world with lies that keep us away from God. Uh, and it's worth just pausing for a moment and even just diving to this and saying, we'll see this this week, but also next week if we get a chance. The battle that we're talking about is primarily a battle for your mind. I don't know if you see it that way. When I talk about a spiritual battle that needs to be fought, I just wonder what pops into your mind. For some of you, when you think about Satan and you think about his work in our world and you think about the things that are there, you kind of have this B-rated horror movie kind of picture. You know, you kind of got some like head spinning with red eyes and smoke coming. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put that in your head, you know. So, um, <laughs> I just want to tell you, I think Satan would be glad if you thought about it that way. 
because that has nothing to do with this. This isn't like a voodoo thing where he's poking some pin in you. That's not his power. His power is lies. He is a liar. That is what he does. In fact, it would give it to us this way in Ephesians. If you're a follower of Jesus, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit who now works in the sons of the disobedience. He says, what is Satan doing? He's kind of controlling the course of our world. He's trying to shape the, the mindset, uh, the ideas, the concepts that make up our world. It's not just natural. It's not just human. There's a demonic part of this. In fact, 1 John would say it this way. He says, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You're just invited to see it again. You're invited to understand that. You're invited to see that that's the battle that we face. And maybe you knew it. Maybe I'm not telling you anything that is brand new to you. You look and you see uh, the lies that are in our world and you recognize this is more than human. This is more than just some rebellious person. This is demonic. And there are lies that trap people. There are lies that hinder and hold people down. And those need to go. Those need to be brought to dissolving them. The lies need to be countered that hold you back from knowing God. Yeah, that has to happen. It's a spiritual demolition. It's a spiritual space in the midst of this. But then the third one, he just talks about high things. In fact, I like about it, and there is this understanding of high things that would be the idea of pride or puffing things up, but I just like that he even puts it in such an all-inclusive way. Go back and see it again just there in verse 5. It says, we're casting down arguments and every high thing. I just kind of like that. Every, like all of them, yeah, every high thing that is exalting itself against the knowledge of God. The idea is lifting itself up in a way that is in competition to God, seeking to occupy the space that he's supposed to have. And that's a big deal. Had we time to talk about it, we could just talk for a moment of how destructive pride is. That pride is, by all means, one of your biggest foes. Things that would make you think more of yourself, uh, more highly of yourself than you ought to see. It was really what some would say was the undoing of our whole world. That Satan's fall, even in the beginning, was pride. Pride has been one of those things that has brought down so many things. And in your life, pride's a problem. <laughs> Pride is a problem, and so we're constantly trying to bring this place where we don't think more of ourselves, don't exalt ourselves, don't allow other things to be exalted so that our confidence isn't in ourselves, but it's in God. It's what he's inviting you and I too. It's inviting us to have that. So these things need to come down. Three things that he says, this, these things are hindering you right now. And if you're going to see growth in your life, you're going to have to go to war against these things and see them brought down. There's no easy way for us to unpack that. We could talk about it for a year, uh, trying to talk about the, the lies and strongholds and self-exalting kind of things that are part of our culture, and we still wouldn't have scratched the surface. There are hundreds of them, but in part, you just need to understand them. You need to understand that they are there, and as God brings them to light, you need to go to war against them. And I wonder how that's happened in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus... It probably happened right there at the beginning. The very moment you became a follower of Jesus, there were things that had to go down. 
things that you held to, believed in, they had to be destroyed. You know, I've had this kind of goofy thought over the years. I think, you know, sometimes I wonder at this point, if it isn't easier coming to Jesus from a very worldly standpoint, you know, growing up, you know, not knowing anything about this, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Having a godly parent, uh, being raised in a godly uh, family is incredible. The benefits are just monumental. It is so worth happening. But sometimes that place of coming to Christ is is to to see this happen there is, is harder because you're coming from a good space to the real space. But when you come from this place of the world, it's black and white. It's like darkness and light. That's how it was for me. So I didn't grow up in in a church. I knew nothing about Christ. I knew nothing about those things. It was not my world. God got a hold of my life between my junior and senior year, and it wrecked me. I mean, it was a glorious place, but it was darkness and light. I I was, before I got saved, what some would say is an existentialist uh, evolutionist. Saying it most simply, I just believed in evolution. I believed it to a T. I believed there was no purpose. I believed there was no plan. I believed there was no point of it. We just existed. That's really where evolution goes to in its logical space for most, and I just lived that way. I believed everything that was, and so God gets a hold of my life, and it's like, wait, there's a God, (laughs) and we've sinned against him. Like, wow. I mean, I didn't really believe in sin before that. I kind of just thought, you know, everything was just about culture and uh, just community or whatever it was and being nice, whatever that was. But now there's a sin and, 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 and heaven and a hell and I need a savior. Those are radical, just radical world changes for me where it happened, where things that I believed in, I no longer believed. I think about it again, my life fundamentally believed in evolution and existential evolution, and I just came to this incredible place of, wait a second, no, there's a God, and he made this. There's a God who thought this up, and we are his and his design. Now, just to kind of chase this for a quick moment, um, I didn't become, uh, for years, one who believed literally in the book of Genesis and six days of creation. I am now, and I'm not saying you have to. Not, not every Christian, not everybody in this room is there, and I just want to give you a little bit of, uh, of grace to let God meet you where they are. I know some of you would be in this place where you believe what some would call, you know, theistic evolution that God is, you know, kind of creating in the midst of it, and if you're there, you know, I'm going to just say, hey, let God work in your life. I, for me, I've come to the place I believe in a six days, uh, both biblically and theologically, but more importantly than that, it was just a radical change to believe that there is a God who is designing this. I don't know about you. Maybe you've always believed that. Maybe you grew up in a home that that was, it was, it was never what I thought. It is never the way I viewed the world. And I can remember, I mean, I probably was not one month old as a follower of Jesus. And things just began to get trouble because of that. Before I was saved, I believed very strongly uh, in abortion and the right of abortion and a a woman's free will, whatever you call in that. It's worth us thinking about, right? Tomorrow is the anniversary of Roe versus Wade, and we think about its destructive uh, work in our world. But I just can tell you, I was a big proponent before I got saved, but something happened. It's like, wait, life is created. (laughs) There's a creator, and people have eternal value, and I can remember it just upending my world, changing everything. And so I began to be a proponent of, you know, right to life and, and, and against us. And I can remember the arguments with my friends. 
I can remember the arguments with my parents who are still yet not followers of Jesus. And they're like, this is never the way you were taught, Jim. It's like, but I was taught wrong. You know, like, like this, there's, there's, I mean, my world has changed because things that I used to, they're no longer true. And if this is true, then it changes my world. It's right that it would be so. It's right that it would be so. And God began a good work in my life. And for some of you, you were there. You came to Christ and it was black and white what you were before you were saved uh, to what you were after you were saved. It just couldn't be, and sometimes that can be easier. Oh, it's not easy, and it surely is a process. But I want to talk about some of you who came to Christ and you grew up in a Christian home. Uh, You grew up in church. You grew up in a family. And again, there's incredible good things in that. But sometimes it made it harder to tear things down. Sometimes when God comes into your life and he begins to point at religious things, that uh, are hindering you from being in a relationship with him, that can be more difficult than it was for me to be able to be like black and white. That's kind of where it is. I find myself thinking where we were reading. If you were reading with us on Friday in Matthew's gospel, uh, we, we read these words uh, where he says, this people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. This quote that Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah, looking upon much that Israel was at that point in time, much of religion, he says, boy, they, they got a lot of, uh, of religious rituals, things that were taught by men, men that they think are being very religious, but they are not helping. They are not helping. They're far from me. They, they, they don't know me. They don't have a relationship with me. To find those kinds of things being torn down, well, I just want to speak in kindness. That's, that's a little harder. I mean, again, I've talked to some of you who came to Christ out of that place, and you're like, man, it would have been easier in one sense to, you know, forsake the world and just make it black and white, but to find myself thinking, okay, these are good things, but they're bad for me right now. My, my perspective is bad. My understanding is bad. I've, I've made a God out of these things, and they have to come down. They just do. There's a space that when we think about what this looks like, there's this constant war. It happens that moment that we come to Christ if you're a follower of Jesus, but that's just the beginning of the battle. I I hope that's clear. I mean, it happens that moment you get saved, lies get exposed, things that held you back are, are, are done, but then it continues. God continues this work in your life that having kind of dismantled some of your lies, he just continues the rest of your life, kind of pointing out a stronghold, bringing up a lie, bringing up some place of pride in your life where he's like, let's talk about that. <laughs> and it's like, it was there. It's been there for a long time. He's like, well, I've, I've always had this. I've always been this way. And God's like, I know. I left it alone for a little while. Thought we'd deal with it now. Thought we'd, you know, thought we'd kind of just begin to point out that it's holding you back from knowing me. And you're like, wow, okay. There's this process of continually destroying things in my heart, you know, continually dismantling things that are holding me back from Jesus. That whole process continues. Sometimes they were always there, things that you believed in and God continues doing them. But can we just talk about this for a moment? Sometimes we are so foolish that even though we know Jesus, we build a stronghold. Uh, we build, uh, we embrace a lie. We allow ourselves to be exalted in pride and God has to be like, what, what were you doing? <laughs> That's not true. Like, what, what, do you, what do you think you're doing? And, and he has to tear down something in your life that you even recently built for his good and says, That's not what I have for you. That's not true. There are spaces that he just does this. Sometimes it doesn't even feel like we build them. Sometimes it's just a process of sin. Again, just trying to be clear and if I can't, am being clear, um, Sin is 
destructive. And if we think about it like a sickness, it's a cancer, and it creates things. And so sometimes in our life, there are things that get swelled up. There are things that become strong towers, and we didn't even mean to build them. It's not like we ever thought about doing it, like, hey, I think I'll just, you know, kind of build this place of rebellion. It did, we didn't even see it happen. And then all of a sudden, it's there. It's like, how did that happen? How did this get between me and God? I didn't intend it to happen. It just, it's sin. And that has to come down. We could spend, again, years talking about the lies. It's enough for me just to say, I hope you feel it. I hope you understand that right now God will highlight these things, things that hold you back from knowing him, things that, that, that you believe, a lie that's believed, a strong tower, uh, a, a pride that he would look at and say, hey, that's just there. Again, they rake just across our culture in so many ways. But before I leave this, I probably ought to just take one more moment before we talk about how we deal with that to just say there are so many lies in this culture. But if I could take a moment to call out one of the prominent lies of our culture, I just want to do so very graciously but helpfully. The day that we live in, you guys know, it is gender confusion. It is the sin of homosexuality. It is some of the racial problems that are happening in the midst of this. And I just want to tell you that so much of this is a lie. And I want to speak it just carefully, but as clear as I can. See, here's what our culture has done. Our culture is trying to create a strong tower here. And what they're doing is they're telling you is that if you're struggling with one of these areas, it's who you are. Uh, you were born that way, that, that you were born that way. They'll say, hey, I couldn't choose my, uh, you know, sexual ethic any more than I could choose the color of my hair or my eye color. And then the Bible comes in and says, actually, no, <laughs> actually, no. There's a creator and he made you and he made you male and female and he made you for, and, and so if you believe the lie, it, it barricades your soul and it just does power to come in and say, wow, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Doesn't mean it's not a battle. It's still going to be a battle. But if you don't understand where the lie is locking you out of, of, of a place with God, you have to come to a place where these kinds of things are confronted and, and say, that's not true. It's, it's not the way that this is. And it does incredible help. And again, if that's you here this morning, I just want to say it carefully. Because I've walked through this with a few people who have believed this lie. And in one sense, it's so scary. You know, they, they want to tell me, hey, Jim, I, I'm born this way. Like, you just need to accept me, and I need to tell them, no, that's not true. It's like, it's, do you realize how hard, what you're telling me? You're telling me that I'm broken. You're telling me that I'm a sinner. And I'm like, actually, yes. You know, I mean, I, you're telling me, Jim, that this is my fault. Actually, yes. <laughs> actually, yes. And it's so hurtful and destructive, but it's so good. Because what we're seeking to dismantle is that that keeps you away from Jesus, keeps you away from knowing him. Because any lie that you embrace that locks you in your sin, locks you in a space, it locks you out of this space where you can know him. Well, they exist in hundreds of ways. Again, if you just know what's happening, it's helpful just to understand, hey, we need the spiritual demolition that's going to tear things down that are keeping us from knowing Jesus. But let's ask another question. So how do we do that? And this sounds great. Okay, we need, we need spiritual demolition. How do we do that? Well, that is what we talked about last week. But let's quickly kind of highlight it and point it into it. Go back and see it again. He tells us there in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, that is, we're human, we live in this body, 
We don't war according to the flesh. Like, that's not the way we deal with this. The weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but mighty in God. Yeah, the weapons that we get to fight this battle. It's not the way the world fights. It's not the world's kind of things. These are weapons that would bring in destruction to those things that hinder you, things that would go into that. What are those? Well, it's God. It's, it's leaning into him. It's his power, his strength. And we talked about a bunch of ways that that happens. But if you were here last week, we said there are probably three of them that are the most prominent. We walked through the armor of God found in Ephesians 6, and then we talked about how defensively that's helpful. We need those in a battle. But there are three of them that come really more offensive, that we're going on the attack with, that we're seeking to take territory with. What are those? Well, let's quickly think them through and then talk about them in this way. The first is obviously prayer, that we've been invited into a relationship with God where through prayer, we get to connect with the very power and might and majesty of God. That through prayer, we get to come and, and do battle. And there is a sense that you ought to be doing battle with your soul and for the good of others. That you would look upon it and say, God, show me. God, show me. Is there anything right now, a, a stronghold in my life that's keeping me back from knowing you? Is there a lie I'm believing? Is there pride that I'm embracing? God, show me. And then when I see it, God, let's go to war against that. God, help that to come down in your presence. Let's kind of walk around those city walls, if you will. Like, you know, just there where Joshua took the children of Israel around the city of Jericho and, and then watch those walls fall down flat. Like, God, bring this down. Bring this down where there, where there is this in my life. Through prayer, we get the power and the ability to connect with God in this, and yet we absolutely need to. There ought to be a place where you in your prayer life are praying for this in your life. Like, God, show me. God, I need help. Show me anything that's keeping me from you, and he will help you. <laughs> he will do that. But you pray for others as well where you recognize what's needed is, God, I need you to make yourself known. I need you to tear the lie down that they're believing in. And, and, and through prayer, we are invited to God's power. We are invited to God himself making known. Make no mistake, that is powerful. And, and certainly, we should be in prayer for it. So prayer is a weapon that would be that which would bring about this kind of spiritual demolition. But then the word of God the Word of God is certainly one of those weapons. In fact, as you think about the armor of God given in Ephesians chapter 6, it's that sword of the Spirit that really stands out as, hey, this is that which you get to take to the battle. It's not just defensive. It's that which you get to, to wield into the battle. And the Bible is absolutely that. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit that, that changes things and works things. It's through the Word of God that things can come face to face and, and, and be destroyed. I think about it this way. In Jeremiah, uh, God describes it. He says, is not my word like a fire, says the Lord? It's like a hammer. They can break rock in pieces. Speaking to those who are finding themselves attracted to all kinds of lies and uh, just fresh messages that weren't Bible, God says, this is what you need. This book, <laughs> it'll change your world. It'll burn. It'll break. It'll destroy lies that are there. And can I just take a moment to tell you it is? Like, this is powerful. This is the word of God. It doesn't return to him void. It accomplishes. You should be one that believes that. If you believe that, what would you do? Well, can I just talk about it practically? You would read it. 
uh, you would read it. I mean, if the Bible is powerful, it would be a part of your life. I will say this carefully as I can. Nobody's doing well here this morning who's not in the Bible consistently. If you're not in the Bible daily, we're made for it. We're made to be in the Word of God. It's through the Word of God that lies are exposed, truth is brought, things are brought down. There are spaces that you cannot do it any other way, and it's meant to be that way. You should be in the Word of God all the time, not just reading it like you're just you're not, not paying attention, but letting it go. And if it will do what it's supposed to do, there will be times that you read it, and the truth of God will come smack in the face of a lie that you believe smack in the face of a strong tower you're hiding in, and you'll be, okay, wow, which one wins? (laughs) Which one wins? And it should be the word of God. You should be able to say, God, you're right. I'm wrong. My opinion was wrong, and and my thought was wrong, because your word is right, And, and, and God's word would destroy those lies. God's word would do that in our lives. God's word would be that. And yet there is this stepping towards it that we ought to be doing because we believe that it is so. We step towards it. Jesus would say it this way. He says, for everybody who's practicing evil hates the light, does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. He says, like when you're hiding in sin, like the last thing you want to do is step into the light and have your sin exposed. And it's because you don't want that. But if you would step towards the light, step towards God, his light, his truth, step towards the word of God, it would begin doing a work inside of you. He goes on to say, but he who, who does the truth, his truth, you come to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So as you step towards us, it begins to deal with things, exposing things, changing things, changing you. In fact, Jesus gives it so profoundly that I just want to quickly highlight it because there's much in this verse. If you're going to step towards the light and allow God's truth to be at work in your life, you're going to discover that the only way you can ever do anything good is if he does it. Uh, You're going to come to such an end of yourself that you'd be like, I'm so tainted, I'm so broken that without Christ, I can't do anything. And Jesus would be like, I know, I told you that. You know, I gotta told you that you absolutely need me so that the only way that we could ever do anything good is if God helps and does it inside of us. But that's what we're invited to. But God's word will destroy and bring to just, just ruin those things that keep us from believing that, holding us back, making us think, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm a pretty good person. I, I, you know, better than others. And it's like, man, such pride. And he'll bring it down. And he'll bring it down. He'll bring destruction into this because we absolutely need it. And the word of God is that powerful. I used to invite you to it in your life. Believing it. Knowing it. Letting the word of God be that which changes you from the inside out. Hey, more on that next week. But before we go to this third part of the the weapons that, that are there, make sure you're sharing this. I know this is probably gonna make sense. Maybe you already do it. But I think it's really a demonic lie that would tell some of us who want to see other people saved. And so we would sometimes think, well, you know, I don't want them to be like, think I'm too religious. so I'm not going to share like the Bible with them. You know, I mean, maybe I'll just tell them God loves you and I'll just kind of say nice things and I'll tell them stories and I'll tell them nice things. But I don't want to be like too, you know, believe that the Bible is powerful. Believe that his word is powerful. And one of the best things you could do is just let the word of God loose in their life. Just give it to them every now and then. It doesn't always, you know, 
create immediate stuff. Jesus said sometimes it's a seed that goes into the, the earth and it bears its fruit, but it's the word. It's the word of God. Give that, whenever you have spaces, don't just communicate your opinions. Don't just communicate your culture. Communicate God's word as best as you can. If you're wanting to see other people come to know God, and they're trapped behind a lie, they're trapped in some strong tower, they're believing better about themselves, the best thing you can do is give them the Word of God. Give them the Word of God. Just give them the Word of God and let God's Word do that. With that, we'll give the third, and it's the gospel. It is the gospel. It is this place where in the armor of God, it says we have these feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we are really clear on this reality. We have the good news of Jesus Christ. And the gospel, the very essence of, of this hope that's in Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that's what we get to give. That's what we get to tell people. That's what we get to, to offer. And it works in them, it works in us. But since we're talking about it in this context, can I just highlight that the gospel is destructive. The gospel is part of this spiritual demolition because the gospel, which literally means good news, uh, the gospel literally means good news, it is good news and bad news. If you believe the good news, then you're going to have to embrace the bad news. The bad news is that you're a sinner and you're in trouble. And if you don't get saved, you're going to hell. Uh, you're, you're destroyed by your brokenness. Your sin has so ruined your world that to believe the gospel at the same moment destroys us showing us that their only hope is in Jesus. I think about it this way. I'll give you a quote that I found this week that a little bit longer, like four little quotes here that'll kind of say it maybe in a different way that I'm saying it that will help it land. Alexander McLaren said, it seems strange work for what calls itself a gospel. That is good news. It seems strange to begin by forcing a man to cry out with sobs and tears, oh, wretched man that I am which is what Paul says. That's a Romans 7 quote. It seems like here we're telling people good news and yet we're inviting them to come to the end of themselves, to this place where they would say, I am destroyed. Where's my hope? Where's my help? But that's exactly what we need them to see. The fact of sin makes us see the need for a savior. Our individual sense of sin makes us sensible to our need of a savior. The gospel comes and highlights our sinfulness. And if we can see it, then we figure out, you know what, I need, I need help. I need rescue. I need a savior. He went on to simply say, no man will ever reach the heights to which Christ can lift him, who does not begin his upward course by descending to the depths into which Christ's gospel begins its work by plunging him. God will do great things in our lives. He wants to draw us to Christ, but he crushes us with the gospel. He takes us to the place that we go to the depths of where we recognize there's nothing good in me and there's, and, and there's no help and I can't help at all and he brings me to an end of myself. But we need it because that's true. He goes on to simply say it this way, there is a fortress of ignorance. Most men who are kept from Christ are so because they know neither themselves nor God. One of the great strong towers that's locking people into a lack of salvation is because they think they're okay. They don't really know that they're sinners and they don't really know where they, where they stand with God. That ignorance has to come down. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel brings this work into lives. I like the way Jesus spoke it when he spoke it to the apostle Paul. He told him that he needed to open their eyes in order to turn them from the darkness to the light from the power of Satan to God, 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is exactly what's needing. So you've got to turn people from this. They need to come into this space where they recognize their need for Jesus. It doesn't always take a life crashing into its lowest depths, but sometimes it does. I don't know if it happened for you that way. Sometimes for someone to come to a, a, a real recognition of their need for a savior, God allows their life to explode. He allows things to fall apart uh, in, in, in such a way that they literally do come to an end of themselves. But when that happens, they should come to the place that they recognize they were always destroyed. Uh, it wasn't the circumstances, it just brought them to a reality of, of their spiritual condition. And, and if that's what is happening in your life this morning, bringing you to an end of your need or your hope in yourself, then it's good. It doesn't take falling apart. It doesn't take your world falling apart, but it does take you recognizing that everything that's in that is true, that there is a space where that absolutely needs to come down. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, then we are crying out for that right now, that you would come to an end of your sense of self-confidence and you would recognize those are lies and I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Well, before we pull to a close this morning, I just want to go back and just say, here's the aim. The aim is that you know God. It is your greatest need this morning. It is absolutely what God wants for your life, and I wonder how you're doing. I found myself thinking about this, and I found a, a quote from Jim Elliott. Uh, many of you know his, he was a missionary uh, to the Aki Indians, gave his life with, with several others in that moment in the 50s and really became just one of the great movements of the missionary movement as people were inspired by it. But I found his last journal entry, the last journal entry he wrote before he gave his life to Jesus as he talks about his relationship with God. I thought it would just be helpful to read it. He says it this way. He says, I walked out to the hill just now. It was exalting, delicious, to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart to gaze in glory and give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? It's a really beautiful picture. It's a picture of just life. He's like, I, I'm just standing on the hillside, just in the midst of God's creation. I'm, I'm reminded again of how good God is and I just wanna surrender my life afresh to him. And he simply said it this way, oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. That's a good quote. We'll come back to that. He says, I care not if I never raise my voice again for him. If only I could love him and please him. I just want him. I just want to please him. And he went on to write, he said, perhaps in his mercy, he shall give me a host of children. That is converts. I mean, that's why he's a missionary. He's wanting to see people saved. That I may lead them through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies, whose finger end set them to burning. So I just want to bring people to Christ. I want to see them that knowing this. Maybe God will give that to me. And honestly, it didn't. This is his last journal entry before he dies. Dies a martyr's death. And yet it did. Because his life has brought so many people to Christ and worked it in there. Nevertheless, you hear his heart. He looks on all of this and says, if not, if I don't get a chance to do that, if I could only see him, touch his garments, smile into his eyes, and then, not the stars, not God's creation, not children, not converts, shall matter only himself. It'll just be him. It'll just be knowing him. 
I mean, I just want you to hear the delight. I want you to hear the joy, this place of knowing God that Jim Elliott is describing, this sheer fullness of pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. And I want to try to say it one more time. This is what he has for you. This is what he has for you and more. He wants you to have a, a relationship with God that is so full, so satisfying, so rich that you'd be able to say, it's better than anything else. It's better than God's creation. It's better than getting to serve him. It's better than anything I get to enjoy. Knowing Christ, to find the the, the life that's in him, it is more rich, more satisfying, more full. So let me turn this this way and say, if that's not your experience, if you're here this morning and you would say, I don't know, that doesn't really look like me. I don't really have that. Can I ask you why? It's not God's fault. God plays no favorites. What he offers to one, he offers to all. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He shows much more of himself to some people than others, not because he has favorites, but because it is impossible for him to show himself to a man whose whole mind and character are in the wrong condition. Just as sunlight, though it has no favorites, cannot be reflected in a dusty mirror as clearly as in a clean one. God plays no favorites. God is not wanting to give one person a better relationship with him than he has others. What's the problem? Everything you and I just talked about this morning, strong towers, arguments, and exalted things, things that are blocking up the light from shining into our lives, places where we find ourselves hindered in this space of seeing and knowing him. The problem isn't God. It's not that he would look at you and say, eh, not really interested in you, don't really want you to have that. No, he, he is, he plays no favorites. The problem is things that get in the way in our lives. It's why they must come down. We read it earlier in 2 Corinthians where it just simply said that Satan's involved in that, whose minds it says the God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. It's like the gospel is shining, the light of Christ is shining. And Satan is putting up blockages to try to keep people from seeing it, try to keep people from knowing it, trying to keep people from having it, and those things must come down. Those things that hinder us, that would keep us from that relationship. I found it, if you guys are reading today in Psalms, I'll just give it to you this, and we'll close with this. It says, Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Lord, like, let us see your face. Let us find our greatest joy in you, and I just want you to know that's what he's holding out to you. This is the battle we're fighting. This is the battle that I, one more time, get to invite you to take up arms and say, that's a battle worth fighting. That's a battle worth fighting. Fighting for me. I want to know him. I want to know him better. I want to know him better than I know. It's a worth battle worth fighting for others. So would you close your Bibles, your notebooks, whatever it is you have open, and I want to invite you to go to battle right now. Let me give you a moment to pray, and maybe you already know what you need to pray. Maybe you're like, I know what my strong tower is. I know what the lie is that I'm struggling with. I know the pride. Would you start praying about it? And like, Lord, you see this. This keeps me from knowing you. I've believed, I've held. Would you cry out to God that he would work that? Maybe you don't know. Then ask him. God, I don't, I want to know you better. And Lord, show me any lie that I'm believing, any, you know, strong tower I'm hiding and that's keeping me from you. Just would you take a moment and ask him to make that known and then to pull it down, to pull it down. 
to, to, to just grab hold of it in Christ and say, God, let's pull this down. Let's let, let this thing that is hindering me be gone. If you pray for that for your own self, would you also take a moment just to pray for somebody else? Maybe somebody who's on your mind right now that you would recognize they don't know Jesus right now. And you, maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. And you're like, Lord, there are lies. There are lies they're believing. There are strong towers they're hiding. God, I'm going to be able to pray that those come down. That the lies that are, are keeping them from seeing Jesus, that God, you would you'd destroy them. You would do spiritual demolition that would bring an end to those. So would you take a moment, talk to God about that? I'll do the same. And then we're going to close in worship in just a moment. God, we are going to say it in song in just a moment as we'll sing and say, I want to know you. And then I want to know you more. And Lord, I just want to come and put it in my prayer and say, that is exactly what I want to say. I want to know you and then know you more and then know you more and then know you more. I recognize to get there, there are things that hold me back lies that I've believed, pride that I think more of myself than I ought to think, maybe strong towers that I hide behind. But here in your presence, I just want to say, God, I I want all of those gone. I know you're gentle. I know that you deal with always one at a time. But I'm longing for it. So I want to know you. God, I pray that you would bring me and each of us here to find that you are the most satisfying thing in the world. Loving you and knowing you, it's what we need. Rescue us and bring us to that. And God, right now we think about some that we love and care for and they they don't believe this. A lie, their own pride, some strong tower has their soul barricaded against you. God, would you bring these down? Would you show them it's not true? Would you destroy the lies that have some of our loved ones trapped? God, would you do so by by just your power? Would you do so by your word? Your word that would change and transform. God, we pray for that. 
Because we, we want people to know you. I want to know you. Just pray for that more. In our lives and through our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May you discover how true it is that you knowing God is the best thing. If you're here this morning, you don't know him. We're here for you. We've already told you the gospel. We'd like to tell you more. Come up and talk to us after the service. We'd love to share more. Pray with you. If you need prayer for any of these things, we're here. Just come up forward or even just grab someone around you. Uh, just say, hey, would you pray with me before I go? I think that'd be a really fun reality. But right now, let's close in worship. So why don't you stand and we're going to close singing that song, just crying out for God and Him just to draw us to Him. As we do that, I just want to bless you in His name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace.